February 15, 2009. It's the Watt from Pedro Show.
Watt from Pedro Show. Coming to you on a Sunday here at the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point, somewhere west of the Rockies, north of the equator. Brother Matt, yeah, welcome. good to see you again. Hello. How's it? Uh, well, we start off the show with John Coltrane doing Sunday, nice. which is appropriate. Perfect. And then we heard uh, Feedbacker, part five, final part of their uh, Feedbacker trip, Boris, Tokyo Band. Uh, we have guests today, Brother Matt. Welcome. Well, one uh, on the rebound who's been here on board many times is Peak. Hi. Glacelle Park via Thailand, Fresno. You know that town in Thailand, Fresno? <laughs> I'm going to make one. It's far east, Thailand. Very far east. And uh, you got some buddies here because... Now, it's called couchsurfing.com, <laughs> right, Via? That's right. This uh, meeting point, this rendezvous, she has, uh, we've had some on before, a mm-hmm. cat from England and a cat from Italy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, from the, we got a U.S. Okay. gentleman mm-hmm. and a Danish gentleman, so uh, you might introduce him, Miss Pete. Um, no tiny voice. <laughs> no tiny First, we have Ulrich. Is that, is That's that me. right? That's me. Yeah. How do you say that in your name? My name is Ulrich Lund from Denmark. Which town? I uh, live in Copenhagen now. Ah, the big one. Yeah, the only one. The island. <laughs> the island. And? Uh, we have Adam from Maine. Right, Portland. Portland, Maine. Big town of Port- uh, Maine. Yeah. I've played many times. And I've played uh, Copenhagen too. Uh, both nice towns. Both north of Pedro. <laughs> Welcome so to maybe, Pedro. Yeah, maybe February, much different in Maine, yeah, much Maine. different in Denmark. Yeah. Here, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I noticed the shorts already. Yeah. <laughs> just, this is like summer to me. Yeah. And this is our rainiest month. Probably we're going to have rain tonight. But we need it. we got a kind of a drought going. We don't need a lot at once because of the mudslides, because all the big fires we had last year, you know about that. At one point, we had 300 going in the yeah. state. 300 <laughs> fires. Mm. Which, by the way, uh, Australia. Oh, Terrible. man. That's yeah. just where I came from? Just yeah. where that fires are, those fires are? Like in the southeast part, but yeah. north of Melbourne or something. Victoria? Yeah. Yeah. Victoria, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, millions of animals mm-hmm. and a couple hundred people. A lot of houses, yeah. homes. Glad I'm not there anymore. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Now... Do you know about it? Were they arson fires? No, I have no idea. Okay. I haven't been looking into it. You know it what either. arson is, right? Yeah, yeah. When some cat lights. It. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't. Because there's fires. Nature's had it with the lightning. I saw it once. I was on tour in Wyoming. Mm. We were at uh, Gorge, Fire Gorge, in fact. Yeah, I remember we were slovenly, and they tried to put up a tent, and the wind just took that thing and said, no. <laughs> it blew it away. Blew the fucking tent away. Bye. Sayonara. <laughs> so across the river, I saw the lightning bolts coming down, some three, four at a time, and just you could see the fire starting where it hit. Yeah. And in fact, the nature's got some kind of trees. Their seeds only germinate if yeah, there's like a fire. Woods. Yeah, right. Yeah, they need it. So Yeah, you need fires too. That's right. Clear out the scrub and stuff. But these fires were so intense, they burned through. People are building in canyons and stuff, maybe where we shouldn't have pads. And so hard for fire trucks to go to. And when it burns out so much, there's no more uh, watershed. There's no more stuff to hold the ground together. So when a rain does come, 
slides. It's terrible. I mean, what about pads where the windows get pushed out? Huh? They fill up with, with so much yeah, mud. Stuff the mud flies, fills man. up. It pushes out the windows. Yeah. <laughs> That's quick. Think of pud <laughs> yeah. or something. It's intense. So heart goes out to the brothers and sisters mm. in Australia. Weather this hell. So how long have you been traveling? Um, I've been traveling for a little over three months now. I started with a month in Australia, Victoria and New South Wales, and I went to New Zealand for two months. And this is my last stop. I have two weeks here in California, leaving on this Tuesday. And then back then, Mom. Yeah. And Adam? I've been traveling like maybe three months or so. Uh, it started in Maine and kind of made my way. Eventually I went to Texas uh, by a plane from Boston. And then uh, my friends miraculously gave me a car in Austin, Texas uh, for free. And then I drove. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And it's still so working. your trip's been U.S.? No. Yours, Adams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mine's been all U.S., yeah. Yours has been, uh, the, you know, there's a word for that, uh, the Antipodes. Oceania? Antipodes, like, uh, or Antipodes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We've been up it's sides, an old yeah. word, it's the yeah. other side. Yeah. yeah. Antipodes, they call it. I was literally on the other side of the earth from my home, yeah. right. it was 12 hours away, and on opposite sides, north and south, so it was, yeah, I couldn't get any further mm -hmm. away. Now, this, <laughs> I, I think this is a righteous thing, because in the older day, or when I was less... Or I was more younger. When I was more younger. <laughs> really, for Econo dudes, the only way to see other outside your town and shit, besides having relatives that put up with you, is being a band. But now there's other ways to tour. There, this couchsurfing.com, huh? How'd you find out, Adam Murray? I don't remember, actually. I heard about it somewhere. Maybe so it's the first that. time you've done it. <laughs> Something like this. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And it's C O U C H S U R F I N G dot com. I think it's dot yeah. org, is it? No, it's gone. Oh, so go there. If you ain't got a lot of bucks, it's a network of cats letting dudes conk. Now, the thing of conking on couches or decks, that goes back to band days. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the way I started touring mm -hmm. almost 30 years ago. I still tour that way. I got another tour coming up, Brother Matt, middle of April through May cool. with my missing man and stop in New York halfway and make it my third opera. Cool. But this is how it was kind of punk in U.S. was small. So the scene, but the people were into it. So you could play the pad. In fact, it was all networked through because there's no internet yet, but yeah. fanzines, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fanzines, the cat who was running the fanzine in that town, his band would probably open. He'd get the hall together to play at because we couldn't play rock and roll clubs mostly because they're prejudiced against us. And then you'd conk at his, his band would open up, and then after the gig you'd conk at his pad. And then after a while it was like from the stage. Just calling after the gig. Hey, who's got a... What I would always say is, who's got a safe pad for the boat? Because you're always thinking of the boat, huh? Mm. And you don't want, can't yeah. play the gig with no base amp, right? Yeah. So you got a safe place to put the boat. We got conch sacks. And <laughs> right on the deck. You know, and there'd be dudes, and then you get the home-cooked chow. They'd mm. cook yeah. for, I mean, it was a happening thing. And, but that was a network through a music trip.
this thing is just, I mean, obviously there was a traveling before punk bands. In fact, there was a U.S. kind of thing where you graduated high school and before you went to college or maybe a year into college, you'd go to Europe and they call it backpacking. <laughs> and there was a thing called youth hostels. In fact, we got a yeah, hostel here in Cairo. And kind of dude's bum because we're 30 miles south of Hollywood and they want to get to Hollywood. You know, because in their minds, this image, mm. I got to see Hollywood. Mm. So they got to ride this bus for like 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all, but they don't know that this is happening at the hostels here because we got the beautiful name. And when they get to Hollywood, they find out that was just image. There's yeah, right. that sign on the hill, a real <laughs> tough street scene. Mm. <laughs> They'll eat you alive. Maybe it's good for uh, people to see, though. They should see the d- dirt behind the daydream. The real deal. Yeah, right. It's all commercial now, Hollywood. Yeah, but there's still that heavy street thing, especially if you're like a young cat, you know, walking around. You gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. But that, but that's the way, the kind of way it used to be mm-hmm. hostile. But now, network through the couchsurfer dot com. You see who's got a. Now, you're talking. You want to do a couch tour. That's why I'm putting people up now. Uh, ah, karma account. It's a karma account. <laughs> putting money in the bank. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I'm like going to be relying it heavily the next year. <laughs> no, no. It's a great thing. I think for folks to check out other pads is so healthy for them themselves, but for the cats they're visiting. Because it's all big. A lot of this... Now, a lot, this is just opinion, but the way they sell us a lot of shit with the consumer culture is they want to make you think you're an expert. Ah, oh, yeah, you got great opinions. You'll mm-hmm. buy our thing here at wherever. Mm-hmm. So you get this kind of weird sense of uh, confidence that you know everything through television mm-hmm. and images. This is false. You really. You never know everything, but you get a little more glimpse when you actually one-on-one with people. So you go to their lands. You have them come to your land. I was lucky because of my work. But I think it is a great thing for everyone, whatever their work. Man, it would help. It's like education. Some ways we could sidestep all the government crap. Mm -hmm. When we're one-on-one, they almost don't exist, except for the hell they put in the way. Yeah, you got to watch TV to get it. <laughs> yeah, the TV. I mean, you know, it's just a machine, and whatever it's being carried on it really is probably more vulgar than the machine mm-hmm. itself. The machine probably has a lot of possibility if it was just worked right. But this idea of people traveling and being different places and letting the different places meet them, I like this. So, much respect, Adam, Ulrich, Miss P. (laughs) Happy trails. Yeah. Let's play some music.
Uncle Sam He's got a gun Who wears a dress Wants to be your best friend He's got a heart off of Bill Murray Wearing girly underwear Dragon Light Soldier He's got the looks to get it Dragon Light Soldier He's got the looks to get it Dragon Light Soldier He's got the looks to get it Dragon Light Soldier He's got the looks to kill Private, is that lipstick you're wearing, boy? Sir! Yes, sir! Yeah. 
from Pedro show we just heard uh, uh, K.R.E. now this ain't the K.R.E. I know but um, somebody floated to me it's uh, kind of a disco thing huh? a little bit maybe or Bossa Nova <laughs> and uh, uh, coming to my life and before that we had the round eyes I think they're from Arizona with um, transvestite soldier <laughs> and uh, Daniel Kwan before that with Say Cheese, and we started with Anita Sue with He Reads Dostoevsky. Some uh, piano from Minnesota. Uh, we're back with uh, Adam. Go, oh, Rick. Speak. Oh, by the way, Adam brought some vinyls. Can you still do vinyls? In fact, we've been yeah. enabled. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. You know this? I, I, I checked this out. This is the Jim Morrison movie. Oh, Things like good. almost four hours long. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Uh, me and Raymond Pettibone made a, a Jim Morrison movie called uh, uh, Red Tide Rising, Venus, Venice or Mars. And it's a four where I didn't shave and wore leather pants and it's pretty what? poor wow. per, uh, Jim Morrison person. Amazing. But Raymond's got DVD versions now of the gallery put out, wow. Regan Projects. And also Sir Drone. I think... Uh, 2001, 2002 is the Morrison one, and the Sodrome was 89, and Weatherman 69. Yeah, but Sodrome was with Mike Kelly, and Weatherman 69 was with Kim and Thurston, who were in town. In fact, Thurston is feeling sick. He wanted to come on down, but he's got a flu bad. He's here till Friday, though, or Saturday. He's supposed to be DJing tonight at the Mocha? No, he did that last night, oh. a little bit with Watson. Oh, you guys did and that. And the night before, me and Raymond did, two for. 
How'd that yeah, go? what a pair. <laughs> well, it was three hours on the road. Yeah, you guys dig the traffic in this place? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bunk. That's why me and Brother Matt, we stay in Pedro. <laughs> this traffic is... <laughs> like London or something. You, you been to London? Yeah. Yeah. I've been there, but... That traffic. The tube thing's okay, but the traffic... And it can get that way in SoCal really bad because we don't have good transit. Yeah. Tiny thing with buses and there's some light rail, blue line. It's bunk. So three hours driving, I'm a half hour late for the thing. And plus the rain. So. And so, and also they put us in this cement kind of patio thing where the, uh, it's not like a roller rink or fucking bowling alley. <laughs> But I would play a song, Raymond play a song. Uh, first he was playing some vinyls, you know, like two song records at the same time. And then he said, fuck it, and I'll just play songs from my pewter. I could use the iPod. It was interesting. And then, you know, it's been a little cold for Cali. Yeah. Like, it must have been in like the low 50s. <laughs> Oh, Jillian. Cool. And then uh, we went, went to the Mint and uh, played with Hellride. Probably my last gig with Perkins for a long time. The gig that oh, James is kicking it. Well, he's <laughs> got the Jane Addiction thing. Yeah. With all the original members now. And <laughs> How was Hellride? And the, yeah, that's probably last time I'm play with Perk for maybe a year. Maybe. Wow. I played really uh, violently. Yeah. I was very aggressive. <laughs> And intense. My hands yesterday were like mittens. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I, I got. Speaking of which, well, I brought Raymond. You know, I want to play good for him. And then Scotty's stepson, Scott Ashton's oh. stepson, was there, wow. and stood right in front of me. And man, you know, we're gonna be doing stooges. I gotta <laughs> lay into these. And I was just feeling it anyway. I think these bands before us went and stalled and bogarted. It wasn't until pert near 12 when we went on, and I was just ready to burst. <laughs> Plus, that was kind of weird. The, the mocha thing was, oh, there were some nice people and stuff, but I'm a social tard, you know. <laughs> it was weird fitting in there. So I just had some pent-up whatever issue rock, and I just let it out through that little Dan bass. He got the jam. Fuck, it was... It was I kind of dug it going on, and then the drilling was riding high on me, so as soon as I got that shit, well, the dude wanted to help me, when this cat's Curtis, a cool, cool cat there. I, no, parking, that pad, pad was packed, so the parking was way down. You want to help me? We're rolling them amps like three, four blocks, more maybe. He was like, damn, but he did it. And so as soon as I got back, I drove off, because riding on the adrenaline, man, I was beat, I was tired. It was hard paddling uh, yesterday morning. Yeah, but it was worth it, so I'm glad I did it. I want to hear more about you guys' adventure. Hear about this. Um, oh. Adam um, yeah. met Nels, what, 13, 14 years ago? In the East Coast? So he knows Nels. This is Nels Klein. And anybody who knows Nels, that deserves, right, big... You gotta tell us a story. <laughs> well, I was a teenager. Uh, um, I think, yeah, I think it was the record that you put out. 
Injury Moon, first opera. 1995? Ball, oh, Ball Hog. Yeah, Ball Hog, yeah. And the wrestling so, record. Yeah, I was all into the Minutemen, and I heard that record, and I just, I, I really liked it a I lot. I think Nails is the most prominent musician on there yeah, besides a yeah. fucking bass player. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, I heard that, and I just, I had to go see you guys. You played in New I grew up uh, outside of New York City in Connecticut, and so I had to go see you all play, and I saw him play. I saw you guys play, and it was just blown away. And Tramps? Uh, I think it was maybe Irving Urban Plaza? Plaza? Yeah, I think it was Irving Plaza. I think that's where it was. Okay. Yeah, and I was like 15 or That 16. band was called The Crew of the Flying Saucer. That's, that's where right, I tried yeah. two drummers. Yeah. <laughs> Problem was, they hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't work out. Never tried two drummers. <laughs> also, Bogart's a lot of room. So couldn't use one boat. I had to take two uh, boats, and the little boat that Vince Maroney took... Man, that thing was, yeah, a prayer. It was terrible. Broke down. He missed a lot of gigs. Wow. The guy who rebuilt the motor, the ship was askew, so it's keep eating a, a distributor drive shaft. It's chewing up the pinion gear. Yeah, he went through like three of them. What a nightmare. Uh, but, you know, everything is a lesson. Everything's got something to teach you, so I learned a lot on that tour. Well, you saw him. Did you get to meet him and talk with him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was yeah, blown away by of? his guitar playing. Yeah. It just like you know, when I was like fifteen, it just like totally blew my mind. You know. But you got to meet him and talk to him after. Yeah, afterwards made... I went up. And what to was him. I like? I was. He's like one of the most down to earth, sweetest people I've ever met. Like yeah. he's so genuine and like I was like this you know angsty fifteen, sixteen year old teenager guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I went up to him and he was just like so, you know, sweet and like really like like that. Yeah. down to earth. And His I roots are Scandi, Norga, huh? Nels Klein. He's from uh, his people. It was really Nils oh, really? that the immigration man fucked up and spelled it Nels. <laughs> <laughs> was, he's named after grandfather. Oh, okay. But that's his roots, his people. Yeah, the Danish roots. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and Nor- in, Nor- in Norway. Yeah. Scandi. <laughs> But he's a very sweet guy, huh? Yeah, yeah, and so I would, you know, just go and see Amazing him guitars, very uh, unique, individual. Yeah. 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 The guy can make an album with him, and I don't even have to show him the songs. I can go in the studio with him with the songs. I took him to Tokyo. He had never played over there. Wow. So last week in December, I took him and yeah. made an album. Whoa. He flew in. The next day, he played the gig and then made the album in two days with us. Wow. Really great. And as a person, too. He's a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. I would just go and see him play as a teenager whenever he played in New York. And, and yeah, because after that he joined Geraldine Fibbers. Yeah, yeah. I saw Geraldine Fibbers a couple times. And um, I soon I moved up to Maine uh, when I was like 20 or something like that. And uh, you guys came up and played... Um, up there and the place no- like Zoots or uh, yeah something like some that. brew company oh yeah yeah the Stone Coast brewery. Stone Coast yeah, Brewery yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, yeah and the room <laughs> surprisingly came up to Maine a bunch of times with various projects you know with the Nels Klein singers yeah well there's people up there that are very conducive to some uh, yeah. provocative music totally yeah, yeah. which and people don't know again people have weird opinions of Maine who have never been there yeah. It's happening place. It's One time I was there in the summer, it was 100 degrees. Only time ever. Britain, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I've been there in the fall, man. They got the orange, yellow, and red going. Oh, it's so beautiful. Uh, wow. The so autumn amazing. colors in the trees. Yeah. We don't have that in Cali. We got yeah. evergreens and yeah, cactus. Yeah. yeah. Wild, wild colors in the fall. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. Yeah. And Ulrich, you a music man at all? I like to listen to it. <coughs> well, you told me how many uh, Raskilda festivals? Yeah. Yeah. 11 years in a row. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, for every dude making music, there's got to be a listener. <laughs> so it's important. I think that plays a lot. Yeah, big time. Big time. So 11 Raskilda festivals. Now, Raskilda is a giant ass festival in Denmark. Like 100,000 people. Wow. Mm-hmm. And they always got lots of bands. Like the second largest in Europe, I think? Yeah, maybe. And Long History, too. Mm hmm. 35 years yeah when is that it's usually in the summer it's uh first week of july first week of july and a lot of times rain so the whole week long um week the eight. music is four days but there's yeah, four days. full week of like festival stuff yeah. camping and oh, cool. events and like cultural happenings and theater groups right open mic stuff right right an England an England version is kind of Glastonbury. Yeah, that's like double the size. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I've never been there. Yeah, I played there. There's a lot of rain at that too. It's funny because you know, more rain. <laughs> Ruskin has this reputation of always being rainy and muddy. Yeah. And I mean, every once in a while it is, but it's just something that's cultivated by the media. It's a good story that people get mudded up all the time. Yeah. But it's really hard. We were there. It rained, but when we played the sun came out Stooges mm. brought out the sun oh, so that was good it's, um, it was a great gig it was great play for the Danish cats plus they get a lot of foreign cats too that come to the uh, festival half the tickets are sold abroad yeah see half oh cool so yeah it's pretty internet obviously mostly Sweden Norway and Germany mm-hmm. but you get people from Germany's right next door yeah wow and Sweden too is real close in fact there's a bridge huh? Yeah. or a tunnel yeah both yeah really? both yeah Whoa. <laughs> people say whoa it's not that far it's like no it's not 10k or something but again you know I remember telling people when I first played in Europe that hey I played in Holland well, ain't that a town in Switzerland yeah. you're, you know, <laughs> I get that or it's awesome. Amsterdam it's one t- town <laughs> they don't even know it's a land <laughs> yeah geography is kind of lacking I in US schools <laughs> yeah right it's a town in Sweden <laughs> Yeah, whatever. <laughs> the flags look close. They're just different colors. Yeah. Right? Norway, Sweden, mm-hmm. and even Iceland. Yeah, okay. got and Finland, too, is mm-hmm. close. But Finland, much different with the language. Finland is their own little world. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe close a little to Hungary and yeah. Estonia, maybe, mm-hmm. but not, not Scandi. It's, it's like our buffer zone towards Russia. We don't really consider it part of Scandi. I don't consider it part of Scandinavia. But <laughs> <laughs> they have their own little culture and language, and it's like... Well, for some reason, they were, you know, yeah. looking for flags and said, let's say, these guys are next door. Let's just make it a different it's one color. of those countries that all through their history, they've been occupied by either Sweden or right. Russia. So, I don't know, at some point, they, I don't know, tipped to one side. Right, right. Like, it's only it's been its own country since maybe 1917. Not yeah, that long. Not, not that long. Yeah. Mm. But uh, it's an interesting place. I played there a lot. Yeah. Dark and cold there in the winter? No, I was lucky I was in the... <laughs> Um, summertime yeah. but I, I know long long winters uh, the most north I've been though was Norway in Tromsø yeah where there's a university summer, summer winter it was in summer and it was yeah. sun never went down yeah eternal sunshine that is so awesome I really want to go and see that it, it was a, it was a trip and there's a school up there I think it's the most north university yeah it's a pretty big city yeah for, for that kind of uh, altitude I had a polar museum so you could, for a long time, uh, explorers were Dutch because a black plague had hit Norway. No- Norway got depopulated for a long time. They had to re- 
do it. And the Dutch thought there was a rumor that you could get to Indonesia. Okay. If you went north, there was a hole in the poles or something, and you could just get down there. And so they were exploring up there. But it was a lot, learned a lot of interesting things. Cats who'd go fur uh, hunting on these icebergs and stuff. And they'd uh, always go in threes because, you know, twos. The guy told me he was giving me the tour. Was a nice cat named Tor. They become the married couple. <laughs> and I guess start fighting and shit. <laughs> yeah. So you always had to have at least three. <laughs> you know, to keep the sanity. They'd be there for months. You know, just iced in, looking for these uh, seals and walruses and things to get skins on. Bizarre lifestyle. Hard. And then there's a people... Up there, actually, a native indigenous people called Somis. I got there's kind of a name from Laplanders, mm. but uh, Laps kind of like patches on the clothes, mm. so they don't really like to be called that. Foreigners can say that because they don't know, but mm. if you live up there, yeah, they like Somi. Mm. And in fact, uh, that's kind of like Finland's name. They don't say Finland; they say Somi. So, so. Somi, yeah. But, uh, the, the but that's people, different than the yeah, people. The, the, the laps. Some, some people? Yeah. That's Norway, Sweden, and Finland. It's not tied to one country. Right, right. They were the original whereas, people in the north. Lapland is just a part of Norway. So that's like saying California. Yeah, You're right. You're not necessarily an Indian because you live in California, but you can be an Indian and a Californian. Right. So the same thing. You can be a Laplander and a Samoan, or you can be a Laplander and a European or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. One's a subset of the other. Mm-hmm. Not really. They're overlapping. Yeah, they're over- overlapping. But one's a bigger, European, bigger set, uh, subset. Would be the set, and then the <laughs> subset would be Laplander. Yeah, you can that. Humans are into, like, these... Uh, like, yeah, right. You go to the record <laughs> store, right? You got to know which bin to look yeah. in. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, which music do I like? Which genre? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not just all music, right? In fact, I heard some of that, some of uh, Music, it's trippy. Oh, really? A lot of songs about reindeers. Oh, man. Yeah, I guess. What's it sound like? <laughs> trippy. <laughs> it's trippy. It, it, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of, not, not a lot of electronic uh, instruments. <laughs> <laughs> And in their language, too, is trippy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve McKay, uh, in fact, a cat who's into that indigenous music gave him a CD and we were listening to it, man. It's a trip. Yeah. I, I dug it. Interesting about music because it's a timeless fabric to connect humans. Uh, but I'm, I'm 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 interested. You just heard about Couchsurfing.com on the internet. <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember who told me about it. I think some some person just you know randomly mentioned it yeah. as a concept. You know, Couchsurfing as a concept, not as the website. Yeah. Just The idea of couchsurfing is older than the website. Yeah, of course. So, um, like I told you, my touring experience. Yeah, exactly, and that's couchsurfing, even though you you didn't use the website. So, um, I think somebody just told that told me that, and I was kind of you know searching for stuff like that. Well, now, now were you scared? Yeah, first yeah. time I was scared shitless. <laughs> not not so much when I put on the request, and I thought, ah, oh, that that'd be so cool. But then 
you know, once you get the, the contact, reality, you get, get the contact, and you're waiting for this guy to pick you up, and you're standing in the middle of this small ass city in the middle of the outback in Australia, and this van pulls up, with it has like DJ Dobo on the side, and it's like falling apart, and like, mm. <laughs> get into this sketchy car, and they drive back to their house. Um, yeah, it was a bit scary. Yeah, I've only had good experiences. Yeah, great. So awesome. Great. So awesome. What about you, Adam? So, what's the question? Finding <laughs> out about the scene and once you got into it, were you scared? Um, I found out a, a, my friend Hannah uh, was using the website for a year or two, and she told me about it. And uh, at first, I, I joined it, but I didn't use it at all. I just kind of was checking it out. But just uh, recently, when I decided to go traveling uh, back in uh, late late October, early November. Um, I decided to, you know, fully commit and uh, started uh, meeting folks involved. And you have you have like this whole system of like references that you have, and that's kind of how it works. And that's kind of how you know, like more or less, that your host or your person you're staying with, you know, coach. Is, is pretty yeah. cool, you know. Because you, when you, when I go from here, I leave with a peak of reference and say, uh, she was real nice and she put me up for three nights and we hung out and she took me to this. Crazy. It's like a review. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, I just yeah. write a few lines about what my experiences were. Yeah. And that's how what I do. If I if I need a, a host somewhere, search for them and look at the references and see. Okay, people wrote this and this and this about right. them. So that's kind of how the trust thing works. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, uh, do you guys put your own experiences up on the net for people to read? That's that's what. Like diaries. Well, no. uh, Some people do. Like Mark. Mark. That, that I cat was doing it. Right. The guy from England was doing yeah. it. Uh, so you follow it, or is it just personal things going up in your head? Um, I have my own block, but it's not connected to car shipping at all. It's a separate thing. I yeah. keep those two I things I think it's apart. just what kids do these days. Everybody okay. just have a block. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I have a block. But that's really. reflecting your life, so yeah. since you're on the tour, there's got to be some of that yeah, yeah, coming yeah. through. Yeah. Tons, tons. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not connected to the site so much, but uh, still, you're letting folks know of your journey. Mm-hmm. Because I think that would help build confidence too. Yeah. That they heard about yeah. these things. Wow, he's doing that. Yeah. Maybe I could try yeah, that. Totally. Honestly, I'm not really doing it for other people. I'm doing it for myself. Just yeah, I know. But when I come back. But I'm telling you, maybe a secondary, a collateral yeah, yeah, right, effect. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Could be benefit to, for other people. Yeah. Of course, it'd be pretty kind of a maybe too much ego to think I'm doing this for other people. But <laughs> I'm telling you, but from an outsider. I think it helps. Because mm-hmm. right. I started about 10 years ago starting uh, door diaries when I went on tour. Door diaries? Tour. Oh, like tour I'm going out to play all these gigs. Yeah, I'm going to write about it. And mainly my idea was to get people excited about, yeah. wow, this idiot can go and see shit. <laughs> <laughs> I should go see shit. And, and, you know, and, and be yeah. involved yeah, totally. because this stuff of getting all the information on a one-way you know, like a telephone with no talking part, which I consider the television, it's scary. Yeah. Like I said, you get this sense, oh, I'm an expert. I saw a show on that. No, you're not. You're an expert on seeing that show with commercials (laughs) in between. You're not an expert on that subject. And so we got to get rid of this. And even if you have first-hand experience, you can go back there a month later and things could be completely different. This is life. This is life. It's for living. Yeah. Documented that moment. Documented that moment? Yeah. 
What did they say? Expert are people who made all the mistakes they can make or something like that? That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you call that aphorism. Yeah. Aphorism. Yeah. Some kind of... Uh, yeah, I was reading a book with Francis uh, Picabia, huh? A Dada artist. And he had this thing, poem and aphorisms. Like he writes aphor. I thought aphorisms were like things that people agree or kind of good say you write them like this will be good for everyone to quote yeah this will be good you know <laughs> don't let the meat loaf <laughs> yeah yeah he wrote our aphorism for the day our daily aphorism <laughs> no, interesting uh adam yeah you got pretty good english but i Probably because you grew up in the U.S. <laughs> Ulrich, you are English. Really good. Thank you. But I've known the last few years, I've noticed, in Scandinavia, really good England. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Schools? Uh, I've been talking a lot about this with people when I was traveling. Yeah. Um, basically, it comes down to three things, I think. First thing, it's sad, but it's true. We're not dubbing the movies, and we get all the entertainment from America. Which, you know, when you're five years old, you start seeing American movies with, you know, people talking in slang and stuff. So, that just automatically errors into but, me. But is, uh, the Danish subtitles are going yeah, on the bottom. Yeah, we subtitles, but we, yeah. never, we only translate, like, cartoons and kids' movies. <laughs> yeah. Which is fair enough, but I hate, I've never watched a duck movie. I hate that shit. Germany. <laughs> yeah, so that's why Germany and France and Italy and stuff, they don't really. Right. Plus, um, Danish and English is... Uh, Germanic languages yeah, so yeah. it's the same kind of you know muscle to use there's some the roots same sounds. Yeah. second part and third part is that um, Denmark is a very small country so if you want to make it you have to go go outside the borders ah, yeah. be it music yeah. industry Business. marketing yeah. whatever you want to do if you want to make it prostitution <laughs> basically I mean anything you want to do if you want to if you want to make money you have to go across yeah, yeah, the right, border right. so that's another incentive mm-hmm. I think that's the three main factors that makes yeah, yeah. most Scandinavian people, in, in general, Sweden, Norway. Because it's not just the grammar and vocabulary. You guys know the slang, you know the culture yeah. things, and so, that's from the movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It basically is. On, on this trip, I learned a lot of cool slang. Let's <laughs> <laughs> hear some of it. Mostly, mostly uh, Kiwi stuff. G'day that's day, great. Like, so you bring it home yes, and you yeah, uh, yeah. educate your comrades. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun to see what people think when I come home and hear me speak English again. It's probably going to be totally different. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 28. Adam? 30. 30. Wow. That's great. That's great. So what do you do for a living? I'm a computer programmer. Ah. A big consultancy company. Yeah. Uh, last few years I was a preschool teacher. Oh. Worked at a coffee shop too. Yeah. Yeah. Not the Holland kind of coffee shop. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, the U.S. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. they won't cut us that slack. <laughs> yeah, right. They're a little uptight over things like that, right, brother man? <laughs> uh, oh yeah. What about chow? Food? Yeah. So you just eating a burrito? <laughs> no, but around you on your trip. Um, honestly, I haven't uh, been that much experimenting with it. I mean, I've been in hospitals. But it's been okay, huh? It's been okay. I've been okay. doing most of my own cooking, like just pasta and red cheese and tomatoes and whatever. Yeah, yeah. One of the coolest things was that I met in Wellington, which is the capital of New Zealand. Sure. I was couch surfing, 
there was another couple of Americans there from New Orleans, or yeah. they live in New, I don't know where, Georgia or something down there, and they were into this whole raw food vibe. I had never oh. heard about that before. Me so, so they they, they cook it. It's like raw <laughs> food. They, they're not allowed to have anything that is cooked, boiled, spit in an oven, or processed in any kind of way. Right, right. So they only eat like vegetables, oils, uh, nuts, and salad. And so they cooked us a meal all raw. That was really amazing. Wow. To try that. Wow. Yeah. I think I had some of that before. Adam, your child thing. Um. Uh. Yeah, I've just mostly been cooking. Uh, I mean, when I went through the Southwest, I had the most amazing Mexican food and tacos I've ever had. You know, they don't right, really yeah. have tacos up in Maine. Right, right. <laughs> and if they do, they're like, you know, $10 or some ridiculous thing, you know? And so, yeah, like Las Cruces, New Mexico, $1 tacos and the best tacos I've ever had. Yeah. So fucking cheap and great, yeah. So So the chow thing's been good? Yeah, it's been By, really by good. traveling. Yeah, okay. totally good. Because, you know, if you did the the puck, you know, Booger King and Crap oh. Donald, <laughs> you know, end up sick after a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not tasting the different flavors of America. Yeah, not at all. In fact, I think they designed that stuff so it is always the same taste. Yeah. I think I've been eating out maybe ten times, I think, on my whole trip. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I've been going or... At people's places, pads. Yeah, you're yeah, staying yeah. at, yeah, yeah. That's great. I I think it's a great concept. Yeah. Um. We're at the end of the first hour of February fifteenth, two thousand nine. What from Pedro show? Hold tight for our two. February fifteenth, two thousand nine. It's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show. Yeah. Oh. 
this is not an excuse, but a simple explanation to what the fuck I always be for this nation. So call me controversial or commercial, but you put me on this pedestal. There's just too many aspects, too many fucking packets who ought to get their ass kicked, bitches, brainless, backstabbing snitches. Before I murder all you hoes, and I better let go. Dancing around like Castor Troy But unfortunately things ain't like that Most of the time I feel like I'm under attack Swinging up feelings coming at me from all sides I wish I was transparent So I didn't have to fight like a Jedi I have to use the force To keep away the negative thoughts Infiltrating me but I would shut the doors Yeah I'm the skinniest kid but still I get hit By all the negative shit Wanted to quit and try to resist by hiding my twist But those days are over now I raise my fist I got my own back Supporting the fact that I'm here to act Against all the whack fuckers who try to lead us down the wrong track So beware, cause like the hook I get stronger The more you resist and try to pull me under I've let go of the old Joe Didn't need to know Lost the facade that kept me away And let me astray Forgetting my ways and undermining my base It can be very windy when you stand out Stand up I'm afraid I'm gonna flop But what the fuck If I fall I got friends to pick me up So now I let go
We started the second hour off with a Cat Jack Dance, which is uh, an unknown group of 200 Bali men uh, singing what is uh, kind of, what, the monkey? Monkey chant. Monkey chant. And we have a new guest to join us, Mr. Tuan. Hey, Welcome. And Tuan knows about some monkey chant stuff, right? A little bit. Not too much. I just have some friends that are uh, uh, deeply involved with it. A friend is, uh, well, he comes from a real wealthy background. He just wanted to spend his life uh, learning Kachak. Went to Bali. Learned a few things. Now he just travels all over the United States touring with a, a, an ever-growing group of, I don't know what you call them, followers, <laughs> fellow performers. It's almost monkey like a chatter, trophy, brother, man. Yeah, monkey monkey chatter. Chatter. Monkey chatter. Monkey chatter. Yeah, it's a trip. It's a trip. They do it all over the place. They do it at Burning Man a lot. That's where they really started flourishing. You don't know much about it? We've got to get on our Wikipedia thing. Huh? <laughs> yeah, actually, I know a little bit more about it. Yeah, what's um, that? It uh, apparently is not a really a traditional chant or dance. Uh, it's based on traditional stuff, but I think I read once that it was developed by uh, like a Westerner in the 30s, kind of to help promote tourism in Bali. Um, like the actual kind of dance, it's like uh, 200 men kind of are in a sitting down in a circle and they're doing uh, lots of hand motions and yeah. Um, and so I think uh, it was kind of developed as like kind of a kind of a tourist attraction but it's it's based on traditional stuff and from what I've heard it's incredible just listening to it you know it blows me away just the different you know talk about listening to them when I, you, it came on and I was hearing it I in my mind I heard this before <laughs> immediately I heard it in the late 70s it's a was used by the pop group in an mm. intro of their second album a song mm. called Forces of Oppression album called How Much Longer Do We Tolerate Mass Murder and that's what this started with I knew it was some indigenous people that they were working the thing off but that that, that it sounds like the exact same recording I know Mark Stewart I should ask him that's a trip that was a mind blow so that's what Adam picked He's been on uh, on his couch tour. He's got some records, right? Yeah, just I've been going, stopping in thrift stores along the way and just finding records and found some really good Where'd ones. Where'd you get that one? This one I found, I found this in Las Cruces, New Mexico. New Mexico, yeah, okay. Yeah, where I also found cheap tacos. <laughs> right. And then we heard uh, Let Go by Sutra Pumo. Maybe like Karma Sutra. <laughs> and uh, Ulrich picked this one. Yeah, it's um, kind of a underground thing from Copenhagen. It's not really out in the mainstream publication. So it's basically an old chocolate friend of mine who started this band. Yeah. And it's just like a crossover metal hip-hop thing. And they're kind of reconfiguring right now. So when I left Denmark, the two lead singers that you heard were actually gone from the band. So, But apparently they're touring now, so I don't really know what they're doing. But There's probably like people it. who have replaced them. Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> or it's just an instrumental band. Or it's an instrumental band. band. <laughs> there was a lot more of that in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Europe rock bands didn't have singers. Instrumental bands. Some of them. Uh, then we heard uh, two bands I'm going to be playing with next month. Uh, first one was uh, Cat Party with Jigsaw Thoughts. I'm going to play in San Juan Capistrano. I haven't played there 
or what they call it, Cabo Beach. Yeah, chic. People there call it. And uh, then we heard Up Shit's Crick by uh, Stab City, and I played with them uh, at Harold's place here in Pedro. Okay. And I think they're coming, what's the 20th, Thursday? If today's the 15th, is it Friday? And yeah, who knows the calendar? I got one right here coming up on my computer. What's, yeah. What day are you looking 20. at? 20. 20 is Friday. 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 Okay, so Friday, Stab City's going to be here at Harold's place. This is old biker cool. bar. It started having punk gigs. Kind of trippy for Just 20 Pedro blocks people. down the road. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I'm going to be playing with them in Pasadena on March 11th. Uh, I think it's March 28th for the... Uh, gig with Cat Party, but just look on the hoop page. And you'll see. Some interesting young man playing with the old bunk guy. <laughs> and with Missing Men, first gigs with oh, Missing cool. Men since the summer. Cool. I haven't played with them. Tom and Raul. Tom and Raul. In fact, Raul is going on some uh, Killer Dreamer tour. A short one, eight days or something. Oh, cool. And Tom, I saw Friday, he set up that thing for me and Raymond. All kind of close together. Uh, interesting thing, besides knowing a lot about monkey chat people, Twan also knows one of the founders of the couchsurfing.com thing. Yeah, Danny, in Toronto. Yeah. So now, tell us know, what you know. You don't know a lot, but... I don't, I don't know that she's an actual uh, a founder, but she's pretty high up and she's... Uh, she helps organize all these uh, events, and I don't know exactly what her duties are, but yeah. but she's. Uh, I just met her once again at Burning Man, just a random meeting. She looked exactly like my ex girlfriend. I mean, splitting image. She came over and uh, bummed a smoke from me, and we just had a chat, and I found out all the shit about her. It was cool. But do you know something about the organization? It start, you said it was started well, off as had, an idea. It started out as just this idea of, like, you know, uh, wayward travelers are always looking for a couch to cra- crash on. Like you were saying back in the early punk days, yeah. all the punkers would just crash out on people's Tours. That's how you toured. Right. And so you got to save dollars, right? So you know uh, same kind of principle. And so uh, uh, this idea, this couch surfing, is based on that idea. And so they started a website, and this turned into a global, huge thing. They had no That's idea. That's why these two gentlemen are here. I think it's totally cool. Uh, it's it's totally righteous. Cool. And if I see Danny again, I'll, I'm going to be stoked to tell her that, uh, yeah. that this has happened. And, we're, and, you know, actually, Peaks brought two other ones. Yeah. One from England, one from Italy. Yeah. And I mean, so, it's, it's this huge. is... These are... <laughs> Brother Matt's got something <laughs> to say here. <laughs> What's a Mike Phelps thing? Or, oh, yeah, he's still an Olympic uh, champion, right? <laughs> but, uh, so tell Danny we're putting out the word, because I think it's a great idea for more people to yeah. visit more lands and let those lands see them. Oh, to yeah. me, can only mean good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's totally e- e- econo mode, yeah. you know? It's and you know me stuff. about yeah. econo. <laughs> the way you do it. <laughs> you got to do it right. Okay. And, um, well, it's time for Brother Matt. And it's spin cycle. Cool.
I mean, basically, it's so fucking cool because you get you get over there, and suddenly you get surrounded by people all 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 over there. They are drunk, and they give you a glass with whatever. And anyway, it's alcohol, so you drink it, and uh, it's slam dance everywhere.
right, Brother Matt. Yeah. Much respect. Thank you for your latest spin cycle. Thank you. Got a little dance hall reverb there by not shutting off the <laughs> monitor. Uh, what was your, the, the spirit of your uh, inspiration? A little international. Start with some Nortec, some Slavic Soul Party, and then uh, come on back to the USA with a little good down-home madness. Some ne- neck break. <laughs> neck break. <laughs> neck breaker. <laughs> All right. Um, end of the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show, February 15, 2009. Hold tight for hour three. February 15, 2009, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show. Well, y'all, we are the motherfucking Stooges. We are a freak of fucking nature. And here's a freaky little song about a really fucking weird year. Sixty 
Live from Pedro Show. Start off the third hour with uh, Stooges live in New Orleans at Voodoo Fest in 2004, I think. Three. Yeah, 2003. Late 03. Yeah, now I remember. Because I played this gig with no shirt on. And now, and these days, you know, Ig asked me to not wear flannel. I said, sure. You know, I wore a dress for Perry. <laughs> no problem. So, what I tried to do was, you know, it was kind of like Kaftan, thing. <laughs> doorman, Morocco or something. Uh, what I, I, I did, and I tried to do, and in fact did, was wear a different T-shirt for every gig. So I, I'm not a big T-shirt, man. I don't have many. <laughs> I like buttons. <laughs> so I would go looking for one, and I found this orange one, plain orange T-shirt for this gig. And we're about to go on stage, and it goes to me, Well, Mike, you're looking kind of orange. <laughs> I said, Yeah. He said, Well... Why don't you show these people you mean business and go out there with no shirt like me? <laughs> it has been about 20 years since I played without my shirt. <laughs> and he said, ah, come on. I said, okay. So I did it. Scotty said to me, he's going to have to pay me 10000 bucks for me to take my shirt off. <laughs> no. But, you know, so, so I did it and... Uh, it was kind of a belligerent gig. It was one of those a radio, you know, whatever. <laughs> I think at Mississippi Rivers when they change over from W's to K's. So I wonder if they're a W or a K station. Yeah. East Bank, same. West Bank. Yeah, actually, I think most of the town is on the... So well, you know, it goes into Delta. They didn't there. come to see you. They came to see Marilyn Manson. Is that right? Hmm. I don't know. But uh, it was. Uh, you could tell they were people that watched a lot of videos, and got their music from that. At that time, you know. Uh, so it was a little fired up. Some uh, one of the security men was coming on with the butch pose and. He called him out on that. Well, he got Ig was great. Ig, Ig was singing and dancing, and I, every gig he gave he always gives his all. He's incredible, amazing sensei for me. And the Ashton Brothers were playing on fire. I mean, that band always went for it. I read always. that Ronnie would be like asked questions, you know, at all these festivals you played, if, as to whether he ever. Uh, you know, got to see the other bands who were on the bill because you played with some pretty good groups um, before that preceded your act. And uh, he's all, no, man, I got my head into the gig. You know, I'm in this trailer just getting my head prepared for the show. So serious intensity. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> every time. It was the only shake We'd come up to the stage, you know, up to the stairs, and then he'd look at us. Everybody ready? Everybody, let's go! I mean, it'd be like this. So he'd like give bonsai the charge. I mean, it was crazy. He'd give the signal then, right? You wouldn't dare well, go. Well, more than like a signal. signal. No, he'd That's have cool. us all together, and make sure we were together and ready oh. and on the mark, and then go for it, man. He incredible work ethic, and then. 
to have that with that music from the Ashton Brothers. Intense experience for me. Five and a half years. Well, someone in the audience, I tell you, I, I people can cover those songs, or Iggy could have other bands do them, but there's just something so pure and mathematical almost, and surgical. I mean, it just um, eviscerates your your brain. Um, see it from the source. Yeah, it is, but it's just so... Well, if you didn't see him, then too bad, I guess. But, but we got one song here. And, and then we heard uh, Machine Gun by Banyan. When was this, last year? San Diego. Uh, it's when Buddy Miles passed away. Yeah, April 11th. I think I just got the news, so I... We were playing the gig, and I said, I want to do Machine Gun. <laughs> I don't know. That's perfect for now. <laughs> kind so. of. That song now is what I look forward to when yeah, I see you guys. You know. I like now so much. That's neat about you getting to meet him, Adam. Now, the last time Banyan played, we went up to San Francisco. And with us, actually it wasn't Banyan for that one we did three banging gigs and then a fourth one was in San Francisco and Perk couldn't make so John Molo played the drums but on the way up uh, Bob uh, went with us yeah it was quite an interesting um, experience uh, did you go? I no. was there Peek was at the show she was at the gig she went up with Nels <laughs> yeah she missed the festivities in the van but well who was the square Tiffany yeah that's square <laughs> The no smoking zone. Anyway, <laughs> Mr. Herman Green was also in the boat. He was playing tenor sax and flute, and the man, 78 years old, Memphis, Tennessee, I got to got a chance to talk with him. Actually, I was driving, so Bob... Well, what's actually, interesting about it was that I think somebody started asking us some questions when we were going to pick up Tiff, and um, he told this great story about stealing a guitar with B.B. Uh, King the 50s and that's when I said we gotta go get your thing Watt, and record this that's right we went back to Pedro <clears throat> we drove all the way back to Pedro and I heard a lot of whining so this better sound good <laughs> but what's you know what it sounds like I floated it to you yeah I've heard it and what I will say as a qualifier or um, just additional background is that well there's two segments there's two segments and um, during this time uh he, Herman got a call that is from his daughter that she was in the hospital and it, it hit him hard and you can especially hear that on the second segment which I think he might have made another phone call because we came we, we fueled up the boat and he was a different man And but you can hear it which is amazing because here I am interviewing him and I couldn't even hear him and he's sitting right next to me he was speaking the very low it up. he was speaking very and, low um, fascinating man and later that night um Somebody made some comments, you know, that he was doing his Beale Street thing on stage. But you got to realize this man had just lost his wife, his daughter's in the hospital, and uh, he's 78, doing his Beale Street thing is maybe not unlike uh, you, Mike, at 78, saying start your own band and maybe a little more long-winded with the, the thing. Is it was very heartfelt and it was uh, an honor to be along with him. And I didn't realize what uh, a deep background he had as an educator as well. Yeah. And coming from a musical family. Connections to uh, Al Green Sr., you know, Booker T. Uh, his father played with um, Herman's father. So we're going way back in the yeah. Memphis uh, family tree. Yeah, so 
Anyway, we're going to play you the spiel here, and uh, we'll talk some more after. But January 10th, 2009, uh, we're in a boat going towards San Francisco, just left San Pedro, we're on the Harbor Freeway, and uh, I'm going to put this on Bob Steyer's lap, pour to him is Willie Wallman, starboard is Mr. Herman Green. How you doing, Bob? Good. Good. I'm glad to be back out in Los Angeles again. And I'm headed to San Francisco where I lived there for almost three and a half years. And I was a house band to Black Hawk. Plus, we was talking about the International Settlement, which was a great block of what you call classic strip joints. <laughs> so, is this in North Beach or? Uh, it wasn't it was just at the bottom of North Beach. But it was, it was down uh, near Market Street, right downtown near, uh, there. And I used to play there uh, with, uh, with a group in one of the strip clubs. This was in 1955. And I played down there for about six months. Then uh, somebody told me that uh, I need to go and talk to Helen and John Credo that owned the Blackhawk. And I went and talked with them, and they hired me as a house man. And I got a chance to meet Bill Riddle, like a lot of great musicians, I'm all the way from Cal Jada, Dave Rupak, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, oh man, uh, Chico Hamilton. It, it was just so many great musicians that came through that. And I was there for two and a half years as house band director. So I got a chance to meet a lot, a lot of beautiful people. Was that a pretty lively time? With oh, the music scene, yes, pivotal yes. time, or yes, San Francisco was full of jazz at that time. Man. I mean, as a matter of fact, uh, they had built a new jazz club on North Beach, as you was asking about, and it was called the Jazz Workshop. And when they opened it, I was a, I was a house band to open that up, and then Cannonball Adderley followed me in two weeks later. So uh, yes, it was a lot of jazz. And then uh, they had an after-hours place called Bob City down on Post Street, and uh, I should run the band down there after hours, and I got a chance to meet the likes of Dinah Washington, it came out, it was like a jam session, after everybody got to plan their shows, Sammy Davis Jr., just then uh, Frank Sinatra, it was just a wall-to-wall talent that would come down, because they had beautiful breakfasts, and, and it was a place to hear jazz and have breakfast and everything. Played that six nights a week as well. Is that kind of a semi-private scene? My mom talked about those jam sessions. I, was it just musicians or depend? No, it was open to the public. But it just a lot of musicians came. Matter of fact, that's where I first met Wes Montgomery and uh, and his brothers, man. And then uh, there was the Master Sounds, and then I got a chance to even work with the with the Montgomery brothers. Yes. So with these after hours, I mean, just go all night long? Oh, yeah. You, you, you start at 2.30 and you, you play at 6 o'clock. And then daylight, I brought up, brought up the sun many times. And what we used to do, though, because we was just making a living just playing music. And when we got through playing at, at Bob City, we'd go out to the ocean, man, and lay around out on the beach. It's about 12 or 1 o'clock and we'd go home and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good life. 
Oh, 
So that's how you move. So that's how, yeah. And and my first my first instrument was trombone. Trombone. And then I went from trombone to trumpet. And then I I just couldn't seem to get it going like I wanted to. So then. For much trombone, probably easier with the bigger mouthpiece. Yeah, but it, it wasn't for me. <laughs> okay. So I told her I wanted to play a saxophone. So switch to the woodwinds, huh? Yeah. So she went and bought me a saxophone, and I've been with it ever since. <laughs> so uh, you're playing in the marching band in high school on the sax. Yeah, I was. Did uh, you start chairman? Uh, uh, in my sophomore year. Because okay. they, they had the seniors had the jazz orchestra covered, so I had to wait till they graduate. <laughs> so, then, then my band director said, um, I mean, why don't you come on down and, and practice with the jazz orchestra so that I needed a first alto player. I was playing alto then. I said, okay, come down. But I had a history class at the same period. But thank God, Professor Nat D. Williams, which was a great name in WDIA when it first came to Memphis. He was a DJ down there, but he taught history. And he, he knew that I was, was interested in music, so he would give me my home assignments and everything and, and let me go and rehearse with the, with the jazz orchestra at that period of time as long as I brought my work in and everything. And then I came, like I said, from educators anyway, so it wasn't hard for me to get them to help me with my homework and stuff. So I, I got through high school, my sophomore, junior, and senior uh, years playing in jazz orchestra and marching band as well. So it sounds like a lot of the educators actually were musicians too, so you had that nice overlap that a lot of cities might not have. Yeah, uh, like, like I said, well, see, in Memphis, was at this time, it was not integrated. That's oh, number yeah, one. that's right. That's You're number one. Forties, right? Yeah, and we only had uh, like uh, four high schools, which was Melrose, Hamilton, Manassas, and and Booker T. Washington, which was my alma mater. And uh, they had two band directors. One taught two days at Manassas, which was my band director. And he taught three days at Booker T. Washington. And Professor McLennan, he taught two days at Melrose and, and three days at Hamilton. So we all had two band directors and, wow. <laughs> and they used to alternate uh, between four black schools. Now do you think that it was actually in it, later up ended up being an advantage to have a couple different approaches? Uh, yeah, we, it was, we'll see. We not only had on hands instructors in, in school, but there was a lot of good professional musicians that was older, and by the teaching that we had gotten, we could go, and my mom would let us go and play with different bands. I was 17 or 15 years old when I recorded Walking the Dog with Rufus Thomas. Wow. And I was still in high school. And then... Uh, now, how did that come about, recording that? Well, they used to have what they call the Jubilee, like what they call Memphis in May now, where they get all four the high school bands together, and then they all the glee clubs and all the dancers and all that we put on a a program uh, in May uh, in concert, and so that's how this, all this came about. But then again, uh, like 
I said, Rufus Thomas used to coordinate a lot of this, these activities that they would put on and uh, along with the band directors. And, and that's what they would go, go out and grab the dancers. We had the glee uh, club directors that would take care of the voices. And we had the band directors take care of the band. And so we, got, we had hands-on professionalism in, in high school. Can we take a break from that? I will say about it. Back to the Rufus Thomas. Uh, uh, I was saying about Rufus used to coordinate the uh, the uh, what they call the ballet every summer uh, in May, and uh, he would uh, teach dancing, three clubs, vocal teacher. Professors had the uh, uh, they had the bands conducting the bands. We culminated all four high schools together, put on this, this show every 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 May. And Rufus was a very influential people in my life as well. So I started playing with him at when I was 15 years old because we knew that. Parents knew that the uh, roofers would look after us, so they didn't mind us going out playing the gigs and stuff. We always had a, him as a supervisor or some other main person as a supervisor. So that's how I got started in the business fairly early in high school. But I was saying we was playing with uh, Finnish Newborn Senior in this band. We were 17, 18 years old, still in high school. Play over the plantation in in West Memphis. And that was the longest gig, and then we had to go to school the next morning. Play from 10 to 4 in the morning. Wow. Now, <coughs> how old was Rufus <coughs> Thomas uh, at this uh, time? Rufus, he was back in his, in his 30s. Oh, okay. Oh, mm. uh, he was, he was uh, he, had, he had children. He was a full grown person. I mean, was were you playing in a band with him, or did he help place you in, in with other musicians? Oh, played in Rufus band, and my uncle Al Senior, he had a big orchestra. Played in his orchestra, and there was a band, several several bands of playing around town. Like the band, and the Rufus band, 
I was already a seasoned professional, which was good. <laughs> the yuck was hard to cut, cut into. Because they knew you would let you work on a steady job when you first get there. You had to have a waiting period and all the work on the same job no more than two nights a week. You know, you had to go to another place and play or something like that. But you couldn't work a steady job until after you waited six months. And was that in New York City? Um, yeah, New York City. They had a special... The Palado too. Yeah. And the thing about it, there was, there was over a million musicians in New York City. A million? Wow. The musician directory was maybe some cities in telephone directory. We had a million musicians in New York. It's quite a scene. So how did you just one end up in New York City and uh, how did you feel? I mean, was that in... Well, I had uh, Lisa Brain Bands and I saw... Uh, Gellington at the Palace Theater. I saw Lucky Millinder's big band. I saw Tom Basie. Saw Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker. These bring bring jazz players down in Hampton. That's what inspired me to want to get to New York because Memphis wasn't offering that kind of quality of music and that much work. So you had to go to New York to try to try to make it to Chicago somewhere. The Smith was not uh, not enough to make a full living on. So the band came to Palace and they said they needed a saxophone player. So I went uh, I went and joined the band with with them. They said they were going to New York City and up in Toronto, Canada. So I, I told them I'd go. When they headed back south, I got off in New York. <laughs> Like yeah. a magnetic pole. Yeah. Did yeah, somebody so. come along and take you under their wing there? Or? Oh yeah. Uh, it was a gentleman that uh, I met. Uh, he, he came to hear the band and told me that uh, he had a steady job for for a saxophone player in Ashbury Park, New Jersey. And he asked me that I want to come down and play. I told him I would. So. His name was Sonny Bridges, a piano player, so I've been playing with him and with him for about two years. But I got my toehold in New York, you know, because it was only about a 45-minute drive from New York City. Anyway, so that was good for me because I was right there in the area. Now, what year would this be at this point? This is 1950, you know, up to 52. And I got drafted and had to come home and go to the Army in 53. And I stayed there for the Army for two years. And after that, came back and like I said, I fell in love with San Francisco. That's where we docked at when we came back from overseas. And I came home and visited my parents for three weeks and then I left and came back to San Francisco. That's when I stayed there uh, from 50. Five to fifty-nine, and was in the house band for three years. Got a chance to uh, uh, see a lot of a lot of great musicians that came through the Black Hawk: Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Shelly Man, uh, Jerry Mulligan, uh, 
Cross Hamilton. It was just KLJ, the Dave Brubeck, just a whole array of musicians come to that in the period of time that I was there. So I had a lot of fun getting to see these guys and play. They had to play on the same stage with them and everything, hard blakey. It's a, just a host of people. So it was fun. I had a good time and then waited Spanish for me. And then Art Blakey told me I need to come to New York. And so I told him that I was ready to leave San Francisco because I was still working study at the Black Hawk. And when the Black Hawk finally closed down, uh, then I made up my mind. I said, well, I guess I'll go try New York City again. So I did. And that's where I stayed up until uh, 67, I believe it was. And then I had to come home because my mom got sick. So when I came home, I stayed here for a while. And then after she passed, I went to Birmingham, Alabama, and stayed there for about three years. And so that's where it goes, and then it came back to Memphis, and I've been there ever since. And put together some wonderful groups in, in Memphis then. Like I had the Green Machine, and then I had the Calvin Newborn playing the guitar. There was some young kids that I was teaching at Memphis State, James William, Muggle, Miller, Don Brown, and a host of trumpet players and drummers, and, and also great great experience to be able to teach these young kids. I taught college for about 30 years before I retired, so there I am now, out here with Willie Wallman, Mike Watts, <laughs> and so now I'm having fun again, so it's been good to me. Music has been one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was when I became a musician. Conjure Hall with Lyle Hampton's band. Played with many other bands, so I'm still at it. <laughs> Was it sort of a natural thing, um, being from Memphis, to be, get into the educational side of continuing? Um, well, the way that happened, I, uh, when I came home, uh, Dr. Ferguson was the head of the music department, jazz department. And uh, he was doing a concert, and uh, some friends introduced him to me, and then he asked me what I would like to be on the on the program. Uh, and I told him that, sure, but, you know, it's okay, you know, if he wanted me to. So he uh, put me on the, one of his concerts. They do about four or five a year. And I did one for him, and... Then I did a lecture at, at Lamar and Owen College, which was a, a black college, but they didn't have no jazz. And so the uh, head of the music department, she asked me, would I like to come over and, and start teaching part-time and try to uh, do the, help get some jazz on the curriculum, and I did. And uh, we, still have, we still have a great jazz department there now, so. I have started that program off. That was back in 78, I believe it was, yeah. But anyway, it's a pleasure talking with you and hope that you get some wonderful enjoyment from these experiences that I had a chance to experience. Thank you.
an honor. Thank you. Okay. Uh, that was an interview with Herman Green, uh, January 10th, 2009, right up to San Francisco, sitting next to Bob Stars. I can't remember what you were saying. Must not have been important, as my father would say. No, it was something about him leaning on you, but you still couldn't hear. Oh, yeah, he, um, part two of the interview, where he's a little more somber. In, yeah. In, so when I gave you this he, thing... When yeah, I when, got when together, you it, to it surprised you. Well, you this could... is kind of like when I do this. Uh, the mic has a different set of ears, and in this case, a much better set of ears than we do because here I'm interviewing him. I cannot even hear his responses because he was speaking so softly. But I pretty much shoved the microphone about three inches from his mouth and uh, so you can hear him. And uh, he's soldiering on. But he was a wounded soldier. Yeah. And I think this was a very good deed of Willie's and very cathartic for Herman to uh, get out on the road and you know he started out in San Francisco I mean he he helped open a club in 1958 there so yeah he the Nighthawk the Nighthawk or something did you get any shots of him Pete yes I'll I'll flow it to you yeah (laughs) (laughs) in the parlance uh, Kind of blurry, <laughs> dark, the head cut off. Of course. <laughs> well, some people say the band was blurry <laughs> and dark uh, tequila. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? I was driving. It I was pretty... that, I'd like to see that critic get up there and play in front of people. Oh, yeah. But... Bob was offended. He read a, a review. And, like, the guy kept referring to Herman as the old guy. It was pretty disrespectful. Well, number one is... I think he, it was from a, about... dead, a deadhead... Well, he talked about walking down Clay Street and hearing Watts booming bass, so that's when he should have known. It's not a Stooges show, because you won't hear Watts bass, you know, too mixed that prominently. And then um, he was expecting, like, okay, they're doing 1970, or Funhouse, you know, hit it, Steve, you know, like, on cue. Oh, yeah, Steve McKay was playing Steve McKay, and Steve was uh, very quiet and... um, Medicating the pain away a little bit because he was really hit hard, and I mean, this is I just don't see him Ronnie. doing this gig if you know. A couple days after Ronnie, if he hadn't showed up, you could see, couldn't really fault him. That's you know, right. he's coming to town uh, in March. Oh, really? Twenty twenty first, twenty second to record an album. So, this cat named Dick Deluxe has a studio and is going to play guitar, and he's asked me to come do bass. So, well, I'll say one thing about Steve was that we got had a very interesting conversation on the way up about. The horn and what you do with your saxophone. And like uh, Herman was saying, they for TV or some big show in Vegas, you've got to polish the horn so it looks nice and shiny and new. And these guys are going, hey, that, that'd be like you sanding down that old bass you had. Uh, that's part of your Changing sound. Changing the sound. And Steve has had this sax since 1965. Notice his stuff wasn't on that van in Montreal. Uh, no. That's part of him. And um, it, he's had the... What, had what it with him in the room. A little... Uh, Rebuilt the maneuver pads, fixed the pads yeah. and all, but um, it's part of him. It almost looks like it's, it could be surgically attached. But uh, very interesting about that whole thing of maybe it's a superstition, but I could see how it affects the sound. I mean, now Mike has a bass that is a lot closer to the one he had, but maybe you got to play it a while to the Dan bass. Yeah, you know about this. Mm-hmm. This young man gave me a bass yeah, in San Diego. Cool. Do people know this story? This is an interesting story. Yeah, we get done playing. This young man said, hey, can I give you something, Mike Watt? And I said, okay. And he gives me a 1965 Gibson EBO. 
Yeah. Actually, it's the third base I've gotten since my 65 got stolen, that little red base. And this one Adam, sounds so much Adam closer. Young. In fact, that's the one thing Steve mentioned at the show backstage was, Mike, it sounds like you again on the bass. Yeah. A guy named Andy gave me one a couple days after the theft in Toronto, 69 EB3 Gibson. And then Adam Yauk gave me a 69 professional Les Paul bass. Yeah, in New York City the week later. So people are very nice to me that way, huh? I'm very yeah. grateful. But this Dan base, it, it's closer to the uh, one I lost. I know this sounds the silly, but is. you know, the one you had had that, the worn wood to where it, like the horn, it had absorbed the, the clubs and shows you played in. And um, th is there something to be said for that? Or, or is it just the architecture, really? Of the, the well, the architecture, but no, there's a, they say when you play instrument, this is why instruments should not be put in cases and put away because it, when you uh, put music through them, it resonates the molecules and it makes the wood actually more musical. So the more gigs an instrument does, the better it sounds. The properties sense. of the wood get shaped by these resonances, interactions. So I'd go along with that. I, think I played I'd... a lot of gigs with that bass. Yeah. When did you start but, playing? You know, hopefully bass? somebody else is playing it in Russia or something. No, I think they took the strings <laughs> and made braces or tortures <laughs> in Siberia. Who For knows what they did with that thing? Paddle. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> no, no. Hopefully somebody's writing songs and yeah. expressing themselves. That's the way I look at it. I'm not going to get all bitter and woeful over, especially when the three cats came and. Yeah, well, see, that's where the universe more than so, repays you back yeah. uh, for all so, that. So, you know what I mean? Feel Without sorry for yourself is silly, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. How long had you been playing that bass? Uh, does that go back to Minutemen days? or? No. No. I had a bass like it at the beginning of the Minutemen. Well, that, that wasn't the one that we I gave it to Flea and it got stolen. <laughs> Did James had Pedro. It had Pedro's... Uh, Spray painted on the front. I spray painted Pedro, and people thought my name was Pedro. Well, they'd seen you know, that movie. Uh, uh, people, L.A. so balkanized. Most of the people in Hollywood didn't really know of San Pedro. That's Some true. people saw it on a freeway sign. It's in Wilmington, I mean, this and is Delaware. Crazy about this this area. Yeah. I mean, you fly over, it looks like one big town, but it's actually all divided up in little communities. There's just no space between them. But the, the thinking's pretty provincial. Yeah, it reminds me of the Iron Range in uh, Minnesota because it's people are there's something about goods passing through and uh, yeah. Well, the, also the way the town was laid out. Uh, yeah, they were actually little farming communities. But a lot of things enter America through this port, and right. then they get sculpted into something else. And, you know, but the way the people live in the especially uh, freeways connect them. They got walls. You don't even know where you're driving through. But here they're yeah. pinned in by the topography and maybe the... But they the don't know. The, the I mean, bay, most, I mean, the harbor. We're talking, right? we're talking Pedro and Wilmington are separate. Yeah. Oh, and we're right different. next to each they're other. Totally different. Yeah, but we're right physically then right next to each other. there's a pleasure point, which is a whole different world. <laughs> right, there's parts of Pedro like that are... You know. if I, I take Pedro people to some of my spots, peddling. And they don't know of it in our own town. You went to the Royal... Royal Palms, that's today? part of my route. Yeah, I did. I called you from there, Bob. Yeah. Didn't you hear the sea? All I could hear was my sinuses being 
Pounding. No. He died. You have some here. pain? The Tiger Bomb finally worked. Okay, let's play some music.
from Pedro's show reminiscing about a meat puppets gig 
Bob Stars went to here in Pedra. Yeah, that 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 it had a waterfall in it that would dance. That's where yeah. the dancing waters came. Yeah, and it just was the perfect from. way to see the cramps the first time with the orange, you know, voodoo glow skulls. And, uh, <laughs> and speaking of the cramps, we just heard "Let's Get Fucked Up" by the Cramps. Yeah. And before that, we had the Mark Men, somebody from Texas, yeah. call uh, with "Too Pretty to Fuck." And then is there a theme here or what? Chinese New Year in Tibet from Nothing Full. There's a theme here. Nothing Full. Is that a word? It is now. Yeah. It's a state of mind. It's a good word. Uh, I want to talk to our couch surfing guest. Yeah. Ulrich, Adam. Yeah. Sorry, Bob. (laughs) Turn this mic. Okay. Tips. Okay, I'll like some hints and tips that you could pass on to people who might have gotten excited by it. you gentlemen making your journeys. What would you uh, tell them? Well, uh, you tell them to go first to couchsurfing.com. That's the obvious first step. Yeah. Um, second thing is, like Adam mentioned earlier, there's this like network of trust that you leave references for, references for, for people. So it can be hard to get started. Because if you don't have references, nobody will want to host you because they don't know what you're what you're all about. Unless they're peak. Unless they're peak, because yeah. just posing everybody just goes the street. Fuck it, come on. She'll kill you if you don't. Looking for Mrs. So Mr. Goodbar was you written you about Mrs. Peak. She's like the samurai sword. She knows when to stay with. Yeah. So uh, basically, com evolved to be more than uh, just a place to sleep. So there's like communities for every city. There's like a a group they can post messages about you know I'm having a party we went to a party last night an anti Valentine's Day party in Long Beach in Long Beach so and there just, was other couch surfers yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was I was just in LA didn't know what to do on a Saturday night looked at the group said oh there's a party I'll write her a message see if I can come so that way you can get introduced to the community without having to you know go to somebody's house to sleep um so yeah, that's a good way to get started to to go to like some gatherings of some sort in the in the communities. Yeah, what about bringing a like buttload of money around? Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I I say announce that in advance. Tell your host, oh, what would I do with my cash that I carry around? <laughs> I am well bankrolled. I think it would. I think it would, for a reference. I think it would fly better to you know cook a dinner. Bring some booze, whatever. Like yeah. More that 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 would work better, I think. An offering. Yeah. What was your secret? Uh, I went to one of these um, um, meetings, just like in Melbourne was my first uh, experience. It's like a very really good community around the site there, and they just said, you know, we have a thing. It was a salsa lesson evening in some bar in the in Melbourne. So just went there, met a couple of guys, ended up going on a road trip for three days with uh, five people I didn't know pretty awesome yeah yeah I'd also suggest like just being really open when you travel and not like having lots of like structured plans and expectations expectations and stuff like that because like when I I used to travel more like that and had kind of a lot of anxiety about like not knowing what was going to happen but just recently I've been kind of letting it go and like let the tangents take yeah and just finding out like I made like getting a free car like I just never like like yeah. I, because I waited and hung out at my friend's house for a little longer and kind of like things weren't working out. It just just worked out because I like kind of opened it up to it let that happen. And then like you know uh, I was at, I 
before I came here, I was at a Buddhist monastery for a week. Where and, was that? In uh, Escondido. Oh. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was, I was thinking about Nels, and I was like, man, I haven't talked to him in years, I wonder, I'm, you know, going to L.A., I wonder if he's around, and then I, we just, we went to this temple in, in L.A., and there was his brother, Alex. and I saw his brother, I met, I never met him before, and it was just... Kind of looks like him. Did you know <laughs> Yeah, a little identical bit. Identical twin? Uh, did you know that? I knew, I knew their, I knew, well, I didn't know they were twins, I guess, I knew their, I knew he had a brother named Alex that played music, and kind of, I think I'd heard one of his records once. And it was just so, it's such a weird coincidence. And then this whole thing, you know, with Peak was just blew my mind, you know, like with, you know, just showing up and like, then like this morning just talking about, you know, she was telling me about her friend that there was all these people and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, and I just, out of the whim, out of my, the blue, I was like, oh, do you know this guy, Nels Klein, have you heard his music? And she was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe. Oh, just maybe. Vaguely. <laughs> maybe. And this is like, and all, because, all this stuff happened because I just stayed really open and like, I didn't even know I was going to stay with you last night. I thought I was just going to go to some hostel and it just kind of like, things work out when you kind of like, like take, have faith. You know, and just open up to it, and like yeah. I feel like it's important to do that if you're, you know, it's an important experience to have. You know, you know, the connection with me and her. This this same day of the year we're born on. Oh yeah. <laughs> What? Did I mention that? Yeah, you did. did. Yeah, yeah. What day? What day I is this? I kept saying, seven. like, I'm like him, except I'm not. We don't say it. What day is this? It's December 20. Uh. <laughs> Although she was born way before me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> couple of, a, yeah. a couple yeah. of lifetimes ago? <laughs> that parallel universe around the corner. So that's Morgan Pedro all And I suppose as a traveler, I think it helps that you're a little bit easy on how where you sleep and a little yeah. bit prepared. That's what I meant by expectation. Hardship, maybe just like, a little... Maybe, mean maybe leave the tiara at home. <laughs> Yeah, not not every host will free up their bed and just sleep on the floor like Peak does. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing. I'm trying to get her into the deck. So yeah, leave the tiara at home. <laughs> Don't couch surf with the tiara. <laughs> nice. Look, I want to thank you guys for coming. Ulrich, Adam, safe seas, thank righteous. You. Yeah, thank you. Peak, thank you so much for bringing them aboard. You're Bob, welcome. thanks for coming down Bye, from. Echo Park. Edendale. Edendale. Yeah. That's the old train stop. You mean Where there's you, a, actually... The Glendale Freeway starts, yeah. It's still on the maps. The, the also, it's not called Echo Park. Okay. Well, it's where uh, Silver Lake, Echo Park, and Atwater and Frogtown kind of come together. Frogtown, that's where I'm recording Los Pumpkinheads record. We did the first session Wednesday. Money, Mark, Raymond... And John Wicks on drums. Is that one of those old warehouses over there by the river? It is. It's right next to the river. Is that on Glenn? Uh, there's a metal sculptor that's in the same little area with him. No, it's like, what, what is it, Riverside? Yeah. And, uh... Tunerville. What's, what's, what's this other uh, street? Starts with the G? Fletcher. Well, it starts with an F. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that kind of G. That is G or G. Don't make that mistake with Okay, G sorry about that. Anyway, and Brother Matt, thank you for your most essential aiding and abetting as always. So it's been the February 15th, 2009 Watt from Pedro Show.
Keep your powder dry.